Tonight, Cranford Radio is at the Cranford Dramatic Club, and we're going to be talking about a play that I think is very familiar to almost everyone who is going to be listening to this. It's a wonderful life. It's it's a play that we've seen performed as a movie almost every year around this time of year, and I'm joined by two of the cast members. Why don't you introduce yourselves? My name is Ben Buffard, and I am playing, uh, I'm in the role of George Bailey. And? I'm uh, Mike Marcus, and I'm playing Clarence, the angel. This play, it's a story that almost everyone is familiar with. And it's not just a play that they've seen maybe once on Broadway and perhaps in regional theater, but something that they watch on TV every year around Christmas time. So that makes it a little bit different. It's, it's not going to be a surprise how this ends. Most of the folks know the plot pretty well. Ben, why don't you tell me a bit about what's the challenge with putting this on when everyone pretty much knows the story already? For one thing, I mean, when I read this script, I was very surprised to see that it was almost like the movie, just like almost exactly, minus a few extra plot points that, you know, for, for reasons, you know, of, of, you know, you know, translating from, from screen to stage, obviously can't be done for, for technical reasons and whatnot. There are also, like, it's written that some actors played, like, double roles, so, um, so, for instance, Mr. Gower, George's first boss when he's a kid, is is the actor who plays him. He's also playing Mr. Reinemann, who is the assistant to Mr. Potter. So, for various technical reasons, the I think I think the challenge is is sort of working around with a lot more limited resources. But at the same time, it's also getting to provoke the imaginations of of the viewer or the audiences a little more kind of, I guess, sort of relying on their knowledge, but also kind of translating it into something that even though you know it, it feels new because you're uh, because you're seeing it on the stage. And also just because, yeah, you know it so well. And, you know, obviously, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan, too. So obviously, the big, big challenge for me is to is, is to not go up there and you know mimic the posture and obviously his his, his iconic voice. And uh, only thing of uh, I kind of can't um, I can't avoid doing is, is is his stutter because I also have a, a bit of a stutter myself. So I think we're kind of you know, alike in that. So there'll be a lot of similarities in our performances, I think, uh, um, in that regard, at least. Mike, uh, I should mention that uh, a lot of people who live in Cranford, or at least grew up in Cranford, may remember you from being a teacher at Cranford High School. For those who either remember that or don't know about that, tell me a little bit about your career at Cranford High, please. Oh, my gosh. I taught at Cranford High School from, dare I say, 1961 to 1998, I think, whatever it was, 36 years. Uh, And uh, um, I taught English almost exclusively at the high school, um, 9 through 12 at different times, and um, wound up being the supervisor of the English department for, I don't know, about 25 of those years, and directed the school plays for most of that time. Uh, not the musicals, that was Mr. Lenny's. Uh, but I did the uh, the school plays for a long, long, long time. Uh, so uh, that kind of got me involved through that with the uh, Cranford Dramatic Club. Actually, it started because I directed a couple of the children of people who were already members here. And those kids kind of pushed me into getting involved here. And that's exactly how it happened. And you mentioned that you're going to be playing Clarence the Angel in this performance. 
this is the first time I'm aware of you performing on stage at the Cranford Dramatic Club. I'm sure there have been many times, though, that you have been on stage. Yeah. No, I have done a lot, uh, a fair amount, I shouldn't say a lot. Um, going back to the 1960s, I started off doing a, a, a character role in Barefoot in the Park. And I've done a lot of stuff, some serious, some comical, and occasionally even musical. I did, um, I guess, the last one that I did that was musical was Eliza Doolittle's father in My Fair Lady. So, yeah, I've done, a, I've done a fair amount here. And I've done a couple of things at the Plays in the Park and uh, in Summit and where else. Yes, that's about it. Ben, you had mentioned that not all of the scenes that take place in the movie are going to be performed on stage. Am I correct in assuming that the stage will not open up and have a pool underneath at one point? Uh, unfortunately, that is correct. As as fun as it would be to see um, a whole group of people fall in and get wet and laugh and splash around, unfortunately, we had to you know, omit that. So there's a lovely bit of a narration from Clarence and uh, the angel Joseph who the the uh, the disembodied voice of Joseph um, um, we should say who um, again is also a double role Joseph the voice of Joseph is also going to be playing Bert on the stage uh, is a wonderful guy uh, but so that's the whole thing and it leads right into um, George and Mary's first scene and that's the first time you actually get to know them so if you're hoping to get that like loving glance of George and Mary meeting together for the uh, meeting up for the first time in the gymnasium. Instead, their first scene is when uh, she's in the robe and he's in the um, in the uh, football jersey and they're singing Buffalo Gal, which I think for this particular adaptation is just a really sweet way to get to know them. It's not the cl- it might not be the classical Hollywood introduction of like you know locking eyes from across the room. Instead, it's a very kind of innocent, tender moment between these you know these two people who whose lives are just like about to start off. Oh, we're joined now by a third member of the cast, and why don't you introduce yourself, please? My name is Bob Pels. I've been a member of the Dramatic Club for more years than I care to remember, I guess, about 55 years. I've Cranford resident all my life. I uh, went to school here. My wife went to school here. This perhaps is the only part I've played in 55 years where I've really been a villain. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, the villain in this play is Mr. Potter. Is that something that we were talking before we started recording, that it's fun to play the villain? Do you find that that's a a fun role to play? It's very different for me. When I first thought about trying out for the play, I really didn't think so much about the character. I was thinking so much about a part that didn't have too many lines that I could learn at this stage of my life. And this had just about the right amount of lines for me. And then when I started realizing what the character was, I said, hmm, this is quite different for me. <laughs> so something I'll, I'll be uh, g- good to try to handle for me. We were talking at the beginning about some of the challenges of putting on a play that everyone is familiar with the story, overly familiar with the story, since they probably see it each year. But for each one of you, I want to ask each one of you, what is the challenge, not so much in the play, but just for you in performing your particular roles in this performance? Well, other than the multitude and like, or I should say the litany of lines that I have, being that it is George, this is, this is I haven't played a lead in anything since high school. 
And so, so it's not only that, but it's it's sort of managing just to, to, to try and, you know, find like, you know, because George is such a he's such a good person at heart. And even when he's like near the end, when he's he's angry at his at his family for like no apparent reason, when he's just, you know, throwing a fit and all that, you'd think that he might have reached into some deep, dark places. But it's it's trying to manage the fact that he's ultimately coming from a really good place that all he wants is is the best for is for not just others but himself he's he's i mean he is very much very selfless but ultimately it just is what everybody wants is they want their own happiness so it's for it's a challenge to find what what sort of like you know uh, emotion is brought out and like in in like each particular moment for whatever that you know obviously what the scene calls for if it calls for um you know you know being being selfless and all that i think it's i think it's harder to especially playing this role to ground yourself and remember like well what it is that i want what what are you what do you what is, what does george want when he is even being like selfless i think that's that's the big challenge for me mike how about for you well i guess the problem is trying to turn uh, an angel into a person uh the character of Clarence has a lot of different qualities in him. He can be angry and feisty. Uh, he can be compassionate and loving. He can be really ready to start a fight, practically. Um, uh, and he also teaches lessons uh, occasionally, particularly to George. So there, there's an awful lot of humanity uh, in this angel. At least that's the way I particularly see it, and it's the way I'd like to try to develop the character. He really is a very, very human angel. And Bob, for you. Potter comes across, obviously, as the villain in the play, but there are a couple of spots in the uh, in the course of the show where he tries to be somebody that he he really isn't. He tries to get along with George at one particular point in time by by making an offer to him regarding his business. And George, of course, is smart enough to realize that it's a con. I'm trying to get him to turn against his own ideals and come with me in, in, my, uh, in my situation. But that doesn't last very long. There's just a couple of spots where Potter is seen as trying to be human, but he really isn't. And, and, and I think, for speaking for both Mike and myself, we're getting to a point in, in our mm -hmm. lives where we like to be on stage, but we have to look for smaller things to do. Fewer lines. <laughs> Fewer that's, lines. The, that's the bottom line. Fewer lines. Less walk. Oh. I'm, I'm in a wheelchair for this entire show, so I don't have Lucky to worry. You. <laughs> I don't have to worry about doing a lot of walking around the stage. So... We it's, your wings at the end of the show, so you'll you'll yes, be flying off fly no problem. Well, yes, that would be wonderful if they could fly me like Peter Pan, Mary uh, Poppins. Yeah, right. Um, there was one point where they were supposed to throw me on the stage, and I said, "No, that's not going to happen." <laughs> I just these bones are a little too brittle. <laughs> one of the interesting things I noticed when I was researching this is that the short story that "It's a Wonderful Life" was based on, mm -hmm. supposedly. The inspiration for Bedford Falls came from not Seneca Falls, New York, which I had always thought, but Califon, New Jersey. And if you go to Califon, New Jersey, you will see a bridge very much like the bridge that George threatens to jump off of in the movie 
that is still there in Califon, New Jersey. So that was one of the uh, little interesting things and ties it in locally to uh, New Jersey. I thought it was uh, kind of fun. Well, we're going to have information on the dates and how to buy tickets for the play on the show notes, so I encourage you to check those out. And definitely this is a fun play to see, so I hope everyone will be able to come out and, and watch it. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me tonight. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you very you, much. Bernie. Merry Christmas. <laughs>